John 17, verses 13, down to the end of the chapter, verse 26. Jesus continues. But now, says Jesus, I am coming to you, meaning his Father. And these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. But I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but that you would keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I've sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me that they may become perfectly one so the world may know that you have sent me and love them even as you've loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you've given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you've given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. These know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's funny how different cultures cue each other. I remember when I was staying with a friend in Geneva in uh, Switzerland, he had in his toilet, no way when you sort of go to the bathroom, they've got these wee colourful posters that sort of make you laugh. I don't know why they do it, but... And he had in his bathroom the quirks of the English people, as only the French could do. And I remember looking through, and there was these two pictures, and one was, was a couple having a dinner in some restaurant, and they're whispering to each other how horrible the food is, how ungracious the staff are. And then the next slot shows the staff coming over and saying, and how is your meal? And the couple say, oh, wonderful, thank you. <laughs> And the next picture was of this very proper looking gentleman walking beside a river. And as he's walking beside the river, he comes across somebody in the water who is clearly struggling, crying, help, help, help. And the next postcard is this man looking at him with his arms folded. Then the next postcard is the person over saying, help me, please. And then he throws in, his manners make the man. Help, help me. We have a reserve in our culture to ask for help, do we not? We like to be independent, we like to be strong, we like to make it on our own because we don't want to bother people. We don't want to let people down, we, we don't want to upset people. If we ask for help, maybe it implies weakness. And yet, and yet if you look at some of our more successful advertising campaigns, what is Tesco's famous slogan? Every little helps. And when we do get help, it's a blessing. It's a comfort, is it not? Every little helps. Friends, we've just sung that beautiful hymn, Facing a Task Unfinished.
And as we look at what Jesus has talked about over the past couple of weeks in the upper room as he shares his heart with his disciples about the mission before them, he has warned them that persecution and opposition will come. It is great and it is amazing to see the growth of the church in China, but still to this day, it is severely persecuted. We hear of church missionaries struggling, agencies struggling to get people to go abroad. Even here in Lincolnshire, Lincoln itself, in this greater area of Lincoln, there is 100,000 people. And if we wanted to reach 10% of the population of Lincoln, we would need 100 LBCs. Facing a task unfinished. Help. And never mind about the mission of the church or the work of the church. What about our own lives as we try to follow Jesus faithfully and lovingly and honoringly in the face of cancer? In the face of loved ones who are struggling. In the face of hostility from our own family who we love, but they just don't understand what this, this change has come over us. Help, please. So what should we do? And where should we seek our help? And where do we get our help? And is there help to be had? Well, yes, there is. Because in Jesus, as he finishes the prayer this week, this amazing prayer, this beautiful prayer, we were talking about it in our house group. I mean, how amazing is it that we get to stand looking over Jesus' shoulder as he talks to his heavenly Father? Isn't that just precious? And the amazing thing about it is, as we looked at last week after Jesus talks about his mission to remind them that he has come to give eternal life to all who would believe in him, for he is, he is the way, the truth, and the life. There's no one can come to the Father and be saved but through him. And he tells them this and they prays for him. And then this week, he continues to pray for the disciples. Isn't it beautiful? At the, how many of you would like to be a fly on the wall in some conversations to hear what others are saying about you? We all have a wee guilty thing, don't we? But here we're a fly on the wall as the father and the son discuss the apostles. But also this week, as we'll see, they discuss us too. Who's your, who's your favorite historical hero? Who's your, don't shout out, we'll, but who's your favorite historical? Think of who your favorite historical hero might be. And imagine Matt's doing some research there. Matt's our archaeologist, and he finds a whole treasure trove of letters. And it discovered that these letters from your great historical figure are written about you. Wouldn't that be quite amazing? Jesus here in this prayer the Son of the only God, the second member of the Trinity, God himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they are discussing and praying for you, brother and sister. I do not ask, verse 20, for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So if you want to hear help, if you want to know what God's help is, then come with me. Let's look at this prayer. Firstly, let's look at verses 12 to... Ah, there's notes. Let's look at verses 13 to 19 together. Firstly, Jesus, as he prays for the apostles, the things he prays for them do apply to us. Jesus here in his role, Richard said it earlier on, is forming what's called the high priestly prayer. What is the high priest? What's that all about? Well, in Jewish religion, there was one person who was selected from all the people to stand in the most holy of holy places to bring the people to God and God to the people. That was his role. Only one person could do it one day of the year through a severe process of sanctification. Here, Jesus, once and for all, for all times, as Hebrews 4 and 7 tells us, he is the one who stands 
as our high priest who brings God to us and us to God. Fundamentally through the cross and the resurrection as he deals with sin and our guilt, as he rises alive forevermore, but also continually, he is the one who prays to God for us. Are you still with me? Excellent. And so here we see our high priest, Jesus coming into the gap and lifting us up in prayer. And verses 13 to 19, he is still particularly praying for the apostles, but this applies to us. Let's look at some of the things he prays for them. Firstly, he prays that they may have joy fulfilled in themselves, that they would have joy. If you've been to LBC for a while, you'll know that one of the things I love saying, it comes from me at Nehemiah 9 verse 10, may the joy of the Lord be your strength. What do we think of when we think of joy? What is joy? Is it delirious happiness running around with unbounded excitement all the time, like kids who have had too much sugar? Is it always smiling like a Cheshire cat? No, joy is deeper than that. It is a peace and a contentment that does produce happiness, yes, but is not based on circumstances but keeps you in the Lord. And joy flows from the very throne of heaven. Sephaniah tells us that the Lord will rejoice over us with singing. Isn't that beautiful? Have you caused somebody to sing recently? The Irish rugby team did for me. No, I'll stop saying that. But we rejoice over something we delight. Joy, peace, contentment, but also the ability to rejoice. That's why Charles Wesley wrote that famous thing based on Paul's prayer in Philippians. Rejoice again, I say, rejoice. Jesus prays that the apostles would have joy. Joy that even fills us in the midst of sorrow. That's why I say it's not a superficial happiness, but a contentedness and a trust that God does all things well, and he has us. He holds us fast. Joy, he prays for them. Secondly, he prays that the word would go forth through them. He has given them God's words, words which are beautiful and true. We have read some of the words as we've gone through John's gospel, have we not? That Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father but through him. John 3.16, one of the most famous Bible passages, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus telling them that he is the good shepherd. Whoever follows him will know good pasture and abundant life in all its fullness. Challenges to repent and be born again because no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born from above by the Holy Spirit. The words of God that still go forth. Jesus thanks the Father for revealing these words to them. And what a gift revelation is, isn't it? How many of you like to Facebook stalk people? In fact, you probably shouldn't admit to that. Facebook, Twitter, social media. It's a strange thing, is it not? It's given us an intimacy with people that's actually quite false in some ways, isn't it? We all know King Charles. He's the head of state. We know facts about him, but how many of us actually know him personally? Social media is the same. We can read somebody's Facebook profile. We can see that they like to eat. I mean, people put strange things up on Facebook, don't they? We can see that they like to eat this and that, but actually, do we truly know them? We only come to know somebody when they reveal themselves to us, when we interact with them. God of the universe has made himself known to us in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. You want to know what God is like? 
He has revealed himself in Jesus. He has revealed himself through his word time and time and time and time and time again. God has made himself known to us. Isn't that an amazing thing? People ask me why I do that thing at the, uh, the end of the Bible reading. This is the word of the Lord. I think it's a great thing that we can say. Thanks be to God. Thank you for revealing yourself to us, Lord. Thank you for not hiding in isolation. Thank you that when we turned our backs on you in the garden, you didn't say, right, that's fine, fair enough, away you go. But you pursued us. We have his joy that Jesus prays for us. We have his words. We don't have to think of the right things to say. We bring the word of God to people. Joy. He prays too that they would be sent into the world. Look at verse 14 there. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. By that he means the whole system of the world, that which is in rebellion against God. John picks this theme up in Revelation 2, all that opposes God. Hostility. Anger against Christ. Liking the darkness instead of the light. Staying in sin instead of being saved. It's a hostile world that he sends us into. Wouldn't it be great if he just did what Scotty does and beamed us up to heaven? But he doesn't do that, verse 15. He prays for this joy. He prays for the word. And then he prays, Lord, that you would keep them in the word. Not world, not part of it. Keep them from the evil one, but send them into the world to do my mission. And this corresponds with the rest of the gospel. Isn't Matthew 5? You're called to be what? Salt. Salt only works when it's applied in the situation. You're called to be light in the world, to do and give the glory to God. So we pray for the apostles that they would be sent into the world, which is quite a task facing them, isn't it? We've just sung facing a task unfinished. But have a mind for these guys. Eleven apostles, Judas has betrayed him. We'll see next week as Judas comes and kisses Jesus in the treat that stepped. Treat. Cheek, the ultimate sign of betrayal. They'll see Jesus crucified. They'll see Jesus rising again from the dead and the Holy Spirit sent on them. Then they multiplied 120. But these 120 people are sent into the world by Jesus to proclaim the good news that will reach the ends of the earth in a day before airplanes and fax machines and telephones and internet, in a day when the Roman Empire could rule supreme and they were to go and challenge it with the good news that Jesus is alive. They truly faced a task unfinished. And yet because of their faithfulness, because of God's help for them, we are here today. Isn't that amazing? Lincoln isn't the center of the universe. It's a great place. But because somebody took the gospel from Jerusalem and preached out, and F.F. Bruce has a wonderful book, it's called The Spreading Flame. And how this gospel went out from Jerusalem and started spreading around the Middle East and how it went around the Roman Empire and got to Spain and spread across into the the Vandals and the Hordes up in the north and then came across to Britain and then came across to Ireland and spread out from there and the word keeps going and going and going because people go and the joy of the Lord is their strength as they proclaim the living word of God and this gospel goes forth. Jesus prays for that. Jesus is committed to that and he is throwing his whole heart into ensuring that that happens. Isn't that amazing? So he prays for the apostles, verse 13 to 19. He talks about how he has sanctified them in the truth. What sanctified he has set them apart for my service. 
Set them apart, devoted to God. Sanctify them in your truth, being renewed continually by the word as the word shapes us through the power of the Holy Spirit. As we see, I miss the, I miss the fruit of the Spirit song. I miss the random fruits. Where's our wee crab apple man or crab tree man? He's not here today. As we see the word transforming us, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, gentleness, kindness, goodness, self-control. I think that's them all, isn't it? I say it really fast in case somebody catches me out. As he transforms us in the word, that is being sanctified, that is being set apart. And the same grace, by the way, which saves us in the first place, by grace you are saved through faith in Christ's work in the cross is also the same grace that keeps us in the Christian life and continually transforms us. Paul in Philippians says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you to will and do his good pleasure. As we read the word, as we pray together, as we fellowship together, God is sanctifying us and setting apart us apart for his mission. So Jesus has prayed for the apostles. He does pray the same things for us. But now verse 20 to 23, let's look at how Jesus actually prays for us too because there's some more nuggets that come out here. Verse 20, I do not ask for these only, but for those who will believe in me through their word. Do you know, I, I get frustrated with people who, um, or uh, I'll put this carefully because I don't mean it in a bad way, but do you, know, do you ever come across people who just bless them if they smile, their face would crack. Have <laughs> you ever come across somebody like that? You know, if, 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 a, if a flicker of happiness went through them, their eyebrow might go up, but that's it. And there's these folk who go around, and, and I know what they mean in one sense, but they're, they're kind of like your guy from Dad's Army. We're doomed, we're doomed, we're all doomed. The church is doomed. Society's doomed. Brothers and sisters, the church will never fail. Because Jesus is in the church. And Jesus has promised to build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And we see this as the church springs up all over the world. Richard mentioned China. I know for a fact in Iran today of all the places to plant a church that hundreds are seeking baptism in the name of Jesus. You see it in the Middle East. Carol, yesterday at the Woman's Thing, talked about her work in Pakistan. And all across the world, we see the church flourish and grow. Why? Because he is in the business of building his church and the gates of hell do not prevail against it. And here, one of the reasons I know this is because when Jesus prays his prayer, I don't ask us for these guys, but he knows that one day he will be praying for you in Lincoln Baptist Church, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Do you believe in Jesus? If the answer is yes, then he is praying for you and you're in John 17 verse 20. Quite a thought, isn't it? He is building his church. I pray for those who will believe in me through their words. So what does he pray for us? Well, verse 21 may catch us by surprise at first because we talk about joy, preaching the gospel, facing down persecution. He prays that they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me, that they would be one, this oneness rooted firmly and strongly in the triune God. Isn't that an amazing thing? That the unity the church should show isn't based in institutions, isn't based in man-made ideas, isn't based in uniformity, but is based on the unity that exists at the heart of the Godhead. That is quite a challenge, isn't it? 
Because we know at the heart of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there's three beings in one essence. The Father is distinct from the Son. The Son is distinct from the Father. The Son is distinct from the Spirit. The Spirit is distinct from the Father and the Son. They are three persons in one essence. And yet there's a beautiful unity between them. There is a powerful bond of love between them. One of the fundamental differences between the Christian faith and the, the Jewish faith and Islam is this, that Islam teaches that Allah is only one. He is one being, where in Christianity we teach there is one essence, but three distinct beings, three distinct personalities at the heart of the Godhead. And because there is three distinct beings, there is a relationship of love and joy and trust and peace that flows between them. And so creation isn't made, as Islam teaches, because Allah needed somebody to serve him. But the creation is made because out of the overflow of this delight and this love, God wanted us to enter into that. Are you with me? It's a beautiful thought, isn't it? It's like a couple deciding to have children because they delight in each other in their relationship and they want to increase that with a wee bundle of joy who then answers children's talks questions in a way you don't want them to, Grace. (laughs) But there's that delight. And out of this relationship of love, out of this relationship of unity, the Holy Trinity is not divided. It is not at cross purposes. It has one mission and one focus to see the glory of God spread and the people of God brought back into that to rejoice and know and love God. And so one of the ways that the church shows witness to this glory is by being one as the Trinity is one. Now, straight away, I know there'll be objections rising in people's heads, people saying, what about this, what about that? Firstly, unity does not mean uniformity. Unity does not mean uniformity. We do have disagreements about things in the church, absolutely. Some people like to baptize babies, some people like to not baptize babies. There's all sorts of different things, but in the fundamental cause of unity, notice what Jesus puts it as, truth about God, truth about him. And this flows through the preceding chapters. Remember in John 15 where Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Abide in me and I in you. What's our unity? It's Jesus. Truth about the true biblical Jesus. And if Christ is in you and Christ is in me through the Holy Spirit, that is the unity. Unity is not uniformity. Around the throne in heaven, when we're all gathered in and the church is gathered there, when God wins, when we rejoice around that beautiful throne one day, it says there'll be people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. There's still diversity. There's still different languages. Perhaps that day you guys will understand me, but there's still different languages. So unity is not uniformity. The unity of the body of Christ is like, how many of you have been up to Lincoln Cathedral? Most of you should have. I was kind of hoping most of you have been to Lincoln Cathedral. If you haven't, pop up today. It's a great place to go to do a lovely Victoria sponge, by the way. It's... But if you go into Lincoln Cathedral, if you go to the very end, I think it's the east window of the cathedral. It's at the very back. There's this big, massive stained glass window, which depicts mainly in the middle of it, the life of Christ and all our scenes around it. But it's got one purpose, to show Jesus. It's made up of many different parts, many different, different colors of glass, many different scenes, but overall the whole effect is to show Jesus. Unity in the body of Christ is that. 
We come together in the true Jesus Christ and the truth about him is revealed in his word. That's what Jesus sets as the standard of unity. We come from different backgrounds, perhaps sometimes from different denominations, but if we're trying to reason it through the word and show Jesus, then we come together and we reflect his glory into the world. And there's a powerful witness in that that shows the triune God at its heart. Grace earlier on asked, I was getting a bit worried, Grace, I thought it was like passport control there, everyone show their passports. Grace asked how many different passports, isn't it amazing? I mean, think about the world in which we live nowadays. If you went back 100 years ago, there probably wouldn't be that many different folk in Lincoln, would there? Yet look at our congregation today. Have a good look at each other there. See if you're all looking at me. Like, look at all the different smiley, happy faces. Many tribes, tongues, and nations. And when we come together to worship Jesus as one with one voice, what does that show to our world that's divided? What does that show to our world that is... I mean, look at America. We're gearing up for another election season. I don't mean to criticize, but look at the division that's there. Look at the division in our own country with politics. When people come together with Jesus at the heart and show that unity... There is a powerful glory that bears witness to God. A glory that says that Jesus is interested in the least and the lowest, the highest and the mightiest, according to man. He is interested in every tribe, tongue, and nation. He has come to everyone in the world that they may know him and have life if they would trust and believe in him. I pray that they would be one as we are one and that the word may believe that you have sent me. When, brothers and sisters, do we lose our passion to see the world reach for Jesus Christ? When do we lose our passion and our delight to see our cities and our families reach for him? Have we thought it's too hard, it's too difficult? Yes, it is. But Jesus says when we ask for help, he helps us. And he prays for us. He prays for us. He is with us, alongside us, interceding. Remember that beautiful scene when Moses is taken up the mountain to pray for the armies of Israel and he's to reach his hands up to heaven or his arms up to heaven, is to stand like this in prayer. What happens to poor Moses? I mean, when you get to a certain age, how long are you going to have your arms stand up like that for? It's tricky, isn't it? She goes, I'm starting to. And his arms start to droop. And what happens? The Lord sends the guys up to hold his arms up so that Israel can win the battle. Are you getting weary in prayer? Are you getting tired in serving the Lord? It happens when you come against difficulties, when you come against complaints and oppositions, that gradual drip, drip, drip. It does wear you down. Look around. First and foremost, Jesus is there with you, holding your arms up, keeping you going. Where's the scripture for that? Look at Hebrews. We have a great high priest who's able to sympathize with us in our weaknesses, has been tempted in every way that we have, yet without sin. Keep running the race. Keep going towards him because he is the one who brings you on. Keep going. And secondly, too, if we are part of the unity of the body of Christ, look around and see brothers and sisters holding your arms up as well. That's why I got us to pray for each other before the start of this service or not the start of the service, we're in the service, before the start of the sermon. Not only should, we, should Jesus hold our arms up, we should hold each other up too. Unity in mission, unity in prayer, reflecting the triune God, that the world would be reached for him, 
the glory that you've given me, verse 22, I've given to them that they may be one, even as we are one. Jesus reinforces it there in case we miss the point. I and them and you and me that we may become perfectly one so the world may know that you've sent me and I have loved them even as you have loved me. Paul talks about this. He talks about it in Romans 15. Be a peacemaker as far as possible. Live at peace with each other. He talks about it in Ephesians as well. I therefore, Ephesians 4, verse 1 to 3, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to which you've been called, with all humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one calling. There is the body of Christ, where those who truly trust and believe in him and are redeemed by his love and his blood after repenting and following him, we are grafted together as one body that reaches across this globe. And it bears witness to him through our unity, through our power and our strength. We had a thank you for your prayers for, what night was it? Friday night, for the Gorilla Christian panel, which somebody mistakenly announced as, was it Joey said, set fire to a Christian or something like that? Yeah. I was a bit worried when it turned up and there was piles of wood sitting out. No. <laughs> but even there on that panel, I was amazed, and I shouldn't be, but I was amazed we had, there was only one, one English person, there was a Lebanese guy, there was the Irish, and there was an Indian guy. And some of us have different denominational backgrounds, absolutely. But when we came to give the answers, we were as one. And we didn't plan it, we didn't rehearse it, in fact... <laughs> Because there's one Jesus we point to. Brothers and sisters, there is a time to move around. There is a time where we have to take our stands on the truth. Absolutely. But the unity of the body of Christ is a precious thing which must be maintained because it reflects the glory of God. If somebody loves the Lord Jesus and takes his word seriously and strives to stand upon it, when we come together like that, then we will reflect the unity of the Trinity into this world, and we will show the world a different way. We will show the world the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. We will become salt and light, challenging the culture around us and pointing to the gospel and pointing to the hope that is in Jesus Christ. That's a challenge, isn't it? So Jesus does help us in prayer. But lastly, verses 24 and 26, he undergirds this whole thing. He gives us a foundation that is absolutely solid. Father, I desire that also whom you've given me may be with me where I am. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus wants to be with us. And I don't say that in a superficial kind of happy, shiny way. Jesus actually wants to fellowship with his people. Behold, I stand at the door and... If anyone, just making sure you're still awake, <laughs> opens, I will come in and sup with them and they with me. Father, I pray that when the race is run, the battle fought and the fight done, that they will come to be with me to see the glory that you and I share together. One of the questions we got on Friday night was, what does heaven look like? I said Ireland. <laughs> Which I still maintain is a true answer. What makes heaven heaven? Jesus is there. The Father is there. The Holy Spirit is there. And we see him face to face with unshielded glory and beauty. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 talks about how we're transformed by seeing the face of Christ. 
a place where God is. There is no pain, there is no sorrow, there is no more death. And we are one together around the throne and we get to see him remake this world in the new heavens and the new earth. Keep going, brother and sister. Keep going for he who died for you to take away your sin. He did it out of his amazing love for you. Look at it here. You have loved them before. You've loved me before the foundation of the world, O righteous Father, that they may know your love with which you love me. On the cross, we see that love in full display as he bears our sin, our sorrows, our shame, as he takes the judgment due us. Why did he do it? Because he loves us. Galatians 2, verse 20, I have faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. As he walks out of that tomb alive forevermore, the Father vindicated and glorified, risen, as I read this morning, for our justification, risen to pour out the Spirit upon us, risen to keep praying these things for us. He does it out of his amazing and immense love. And there is something about us, brothers and sisters, that we struggle to receive that love. Joe, people say to me, what's the most difficult thing you can do in witness? What is the most difficult thing you can do when you're sharing the gospel? It isn't actually convincing people that they've rebelled against God and they're in sin. I think all of us have an innate sense that the world isn't right and we're not the way we should be. The greatest difficulty I have in witness is convincing people that Jesus actually loves them. Do you know that this morning, brothers and sisters? Are you like that wee man floundering around in the river? Sort of, help, help, help. And then you have to pause and say, actually, Lord, please help me. Because you think you're a nuisance. Because you think you're a difficulty. Because you think that you're going to be awkward to the one who made you, sustained you, and keeps you alive this very moment and knows your heart better than you. That's nowhere in the Bible. The love which undergirds this whole enterprise which helps us and helps us to love each other, flows first and foremost from the throne of heaven, through the cross, into our hearts, by the power of the Holy Spirit, making known to us eternal life, making known to us the name above every other name, and sustaining us for the tasks we need to do. Sustaining us when we're sitting beside a family member who is dying. Sustaining us when we ourselves get bad news and it feels like the ground has given way beneath us sustaining us when we're sharing our faith and we're getting a lot of hostility back and we're wondering, am I going to get punched here? Sustaining us in answers to prayer in ways that are surprising and amazing. Sustaining us in the work of the church as we bear with one another in love. Do you need help this morning? I pray from the words that have been shared that you will see that our Lord and our God who saved and redeemed you, who is the holy and sovereign one of Israel, is also the one who says the Lord is your helper, your sustainer, your shepherd. So as we strive together to see these tasks of unity fulfilled, as we as a fellowship love each other and try and show this unity, let us do so in the help and the strength and the love of our Lord Jesus, who is in our midst. Let us pray.
Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts continue and be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer, in whose name we pray as one. Amen. Amen. I'll ask the worship team to come back up as we sing our closing worship together.